Are you ready to learn how to better understand the Bible? Amen? Are you ready? Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we just thank you for your blessing tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the sacred word, the holy word of God, the God-breathed word. Thank you, Lord, that we're approaching the most precious book on earth, your word, your Bible. And Lord, we pray that as we study this now and look into it and learn how to better understand the meaning, the purpose of it, the continuity of it, the flow of it, that Lord, you'll, you'll just help us to get a better grasp on this incredible book breathed out by you. Now, will you church just say a prayer and just say, Lord, speak to my heart. Help me to understand the word of God like I never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer, and you can be seated. And let me add to what Aaron said when he brought up a fire by night, Sunday night, 5.30, because we've invited, we're merging two things. We've invited all the people who have volunteered to be intercessors, who have come forward and said, I'm an intercessor and I want to be on the intercessory prayer team. You're all invited. And so I think right now we have about 90 people who have signed up. Now, I don't know that all 90 will be here, but I know that I've already gotten RSVP'd by well over half. So we're going to get in here and we're going to talk vision, and then we are going to pray the paint off the walls. Amen? We're going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to get with God. That's 5.30 Sunday night, so I hope that uh, many of you can, uh, those of you that signed up to be intercessors will be here. And, well, anybody can be here, right? Child care for 10 and under. All right. How many of you love the Bible? You love the Word of God? All righty. Let's, let's just start where we left off last week, and I want to talk to you tonight about two different co- covenants, and I'll mention them in a moment. But first, I want to recap. Now, I'm recapping a little bit extensively because I want to be sure we get what I began sharing on uh, three, three Wednesdays ago, I want to be sure we get it. I want to be sure it's a part of your memory. So I'm recapping, like I said, a little bit extensively so that you will always have in your, in your heart an understanding of these covenants. So last time we saw that God is a God of covenant. How many of you know he's a God of covenant? What that means is he's a God who makes promises. Now, throughout the Bible, he made seven major covenants with mankind. Now, let me name them again. The Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant we're looking at tonight, the Palestinian covenant we're looking at tonight, and then we've got two to go after that, Davidic covenant and the new covenant. So clearly, our God is a God of covenant. Amen? How many of you believe that one day a trumpet's going to blow and you're going up? Now, now, do you know that your believing in that shows that you believe that God's a God of covenant? Because that's part of his new covenant with us. That he's going to return and take his church. All right? So all of us believe 
that God is a God of promise. How many of you believe that you're born again and going to heaven? Okay, you believe that based on a covenant, on a promise of God. So in light of that, we learn that there are three kinds of covenants in the Bible. Say them with me, conditional, unconditional, and general. Now, any covenant of God in the Bible is one of those three kinds of covenants. So here's what it means, conditional. A conditional covenant is based on certain obligations and prerequisites. God says, essentially, if you do this, I'll do that. You don't do this, I won't do that. Now, tonight, when we look at the Mosaic covenant, for instance, that's a conditional covenant. God said, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do it, the the covenant is null and void. I don't like conditional covenants because it means I got to perform. And if I mess up, I mess up everything. How many of you don't like that like I don't like that? I like the unconditional. I like grace-driven stuff. Amen? Now, the unconditional, the next kind, unconditional covenants are made with no strings attached, and it's going to be kept regardless of your fidelity or infidelity to the covenant. All right? So no matter what you do or don't do, God is still going to perform that covenant. Amen. Then there's general covenants. General covenants are not specific to one people group, and they can involve a wide range of people. For instance, the new covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ is a general covenant made first to Israel, then to the whole world, for God so loved what? The world. He gave his only begotten son, that whoever and everybody on earth is a whoever believes on him, will not perish but have everlasting life. So that's a general covenant. Now, we pointed out that these seven covenants are the footprints that one can follow in order to understand the overall theme of Scripture, all right? And this is the approach that I've taken with this this study on how to better understand the Bible. I'm using the covenants. I'm just tracking the covenants, beginning with the first covenant, the Adamic covenant, Genesis 3.15, I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But the Adamic covenant, we start there, and we just follow the footprints of God's covenants throughout the Bible. And when you follow the covenants, you get an understanding of what the overall theme of the Bible is about. But let me tell you in a nutshell what your Bible is about. It's about Jesus. Amen? Can we just say that name, Jesus? It's about Jesus. Your Bible is about Jesus. Your Bible, the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth the first time, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his departure back to heaven, and the certainty of his second return. In other words, the Bible, from cover to cover, is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the Jesus you love, the one that died for you, the one that's coming again for you, the one that strengthened you today, gave you peace today, guided you today, saved your soul out of death and destruction. That Jesus, the Bible is all about Jesus. Every book in the Bible, you find Jesus in it. All right? And here's the way it works. The Old Testament anticipates him. The Gospels manifest him. The book of Acts proclaims him. The epistles explain him. And the revelation predicts his return. Amen? Amen? 
from cover to cover, the Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our first session, we studied the Adamic and the Noahic covenant. So a little bit more recapping, and then we'll move into where I want to go tonight. It's very important that we remember that the Adamic covenant contains the gospel. We, we've called it the gospel in the garden. Genesis 3.15, the promise of God to send his son called the seed, capital S, the seed that will bruise Satan's head, that's the gospel in the garden. Man had, had hardly fallen, and God was judging Adam, and then Eve, and then the devil, right in the midst of the first fall and the first judgment and consequences for sin. God gives a promise, and the promise is the gospel in the garden. Uh, Genesis 3.15 is the New Testament, John 3.16. John 3.16, Genesis 3.15, they're the same. In this respect, Genesis 3.15 says, I'm going to send a Savior, I'm going to send a Redeemer, and what you just experienced, Adam and Eve, falling into sin the Redeemer I'm going to send with the capital S, the seed, is going to undo everything Satan just did. And he's going to redeem you. And that Redeemer is going to bruise the devil's head. And, well, let's just read it. God tells the serpent, I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now we learn that the seed of the woman is capitalized because the seed God is talking about that would spell the devil's demise is Messiah Jesus. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Amen? God says that Satan would bruise his heel, and we pointed out that that happened at the cross when the spike was driven through Jesus' foot. That's the prophecy fulfilled. He will bruise your heel. But then it goes on to say, but he, Jesus, will bruise the devil's head. He will bruise his head. Now, that's talking about a death blow. You can, you can hurt somebody's heel and they don't die. But if you hit somebody in the head hard, you deal them a real heavy head blow and they, they die. This is God predicting the cross. And he's also predicting that Jesus Christ, through his shed innocent blood, will deal a death blow to the devil. So that when Jesus died on the cross, and make no mistake, the devil instigated the whole thing. Because remember, Jesus uh, told Judas, do what you must do. And the Bible tells us before that, that Satan had inspired his heart. So Satan orchestrated the death of Jesus on the cross. But when he did that, he committed suicide because he killed an innocent man. And when he did that, then Jesus took away from him death, took away from him hell, and took away from him the grave. Amen? Now, then we looked at Genesis 12, 2 and 3, which contains the third Bible covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing, God said to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. No strings attached. God will raise up a nation through which Messiah will come, and no man and no devil will stop it. 
The failure of men won't stop it. Satanic attack won't stop it. God said, I'm going to do it. It's unconditional. Sit back and watch. And he did it. Now, this time, we're going to look at the, at, uh, at the fourth covenant first, the fourth covenant God made, which is the Mosaic covenant. Now, the Mosaic covenant is an agreement that was made between God and his people, Israel. Now, of course, the Mosaic covenant uh, was named after Moses, who God chose to lead Israel. And he is the one who received the Ten Commandments of the law. Now, the Mosaic covenant was conditional meaning both parties were responsible to fulfill a duty to the other. The people were responsible to follow the law. And in return, God said, if you follow the law, then I promise to abundantly bless and protect Israel. So there's the covenant. And let's read the rest of it now, verse 5, starting in Exodus 19. Let's just read a little bit of it. Here's the Mosaic covenant. Now, if you obey me fully... And keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, everybody say the whole earth is his. That's why I don't worry about climate change. Amen? Because the whole earth is his. I guarantee you we're not going to fry because of climate change. We're not going to freeze to death. We're not going to burn up because of climate change. Because God says the whole earth is mine. And you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, he's talking to the Jewish people. He says, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. He's telling Moses to tell the Jewish people, the Israelites. So Moses went back. He called the elders of the people, set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. Read with me what they said because, man, they wanted to eat these words later. Read out loud what they said. We will do everything the Lord has said. Everybody say, not. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord knew they weren't going to obey everything they had been told to do. They're about to find out they can't do it. Now, notice the word if. It's the second word in verse 5. If. Now, if, if, if you obey me fully, if you obey me fully, perfectly, and keep my covenant, then you're going to be a treasure possession. I'm going to bless you, and so on and so forth. The word if there is the operative word, revealing this a conditional covenant. If you do your part, I'll do mine. You don't do your part, I'm not going to do mine. This is the first conditional covenant of the four covenants we've looked at so far. This is the first one. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. Let's, let, let's just talk real. Let's talk shop. A lot of people have trouble with this Mosaic covenant. You know why? Why would the merciful God of the New Testament, who loves and forgives unconditionally, and whose salvation is not obtained by what, everybody? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. The only currency that could save you and me out of slavery to sin was the currency of the blood of the Lamb. That's it. You can't buy your way out, work your way out, talk your way out, nothing. But why would a God who saved people by grace in the New Testament give a conditional works-based covenant with his people in the Old Testament? Why would he do it? A lot of people have a problem with that because you know why? They couldn't fulfill this. If I told you, all right, this week, this week 
I want you to see if you can obey all the Ten Commandments without one mistake this week, just one week. Can you obey all the Ten Commandments without one mistake? If you do it in a week, I want to meet you next Sunday. And I want you to lay hands on me. You've got something I don't have. See, you can't do it. Uh, Let me take it further. If I told you, go a day and try not to break one of the commandments, you couldn't do it. So why would God put them in this position? Telling them, hey, here's my covenant with you. If you perfectly obey the commandments, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a treasure. You're going to sail through life. I'm going to do all kinds of incredible things for you. All the while knowing they could never, ever do it. Why would he do that? Is God mean? Let me ask you, is God mean? No. The answer is found in the New Testament in a lot of places. Now, let me just share with you why God gave that Mosaic covenant. The Apostle Paul explains the difference in the New Testament between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, Paul discusses, is the Mosaic Covenant, the one we're talking about tonight, which he also calls what? The law. I don't even like the sound of that, the law. I like the grace. I love amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But he gave them first the law. Now, the purpose of the law, says Paul, was to make people aware of the inability to live the kind of life God's holiness requires so that when Jesus came, they would be keenly aware of their need for him. So I want you to see that God did not give us the law believing we would perfectly fulfill it. He knew we would fail over and over and over again. But look what Galatians says. Here's Paul writing in Galatians chapter 3. He says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith, not by works. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So what did the law do? We failed at it and failed at it and failed at it. And you know what it did? It whipped us into grace. It whipped us into grace. Because no matter how hard they tried, Israel, notice they said, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Oh, you got it. We, we got it. God, we're, you're about to see how much we really do love you. We will do what you said. But no matter how hard they tried, Israel could not perfectly obey the law. It was impossible to do so because of our fallen nature. James writes, and this makes it even tougher, Whoever shall keep the whole law but stumble in one little point is guilty of all. Well, thanks, James. That's really encouraging as I try to keep the law. All right? Because I can't do it. And if I mess up on one little point, what? I've broken them all? Yes. Paul vividly describes his own inability to obey the law. And I so appreciate Paul's transparency here. Listen to Paul. He's telling the truth. He says, that is why I felt fine so long as I did not understand what the law really demanded. In other words, ignorance was bliss. Until I understood what the law demanded, I was in ignorant bliss. I didn't know what God demanded. I didn't know what sin really was. But when I learned the truth, I realized that I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So as far as I was concerned, Paul goes on, 
the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, resulted instead in my being given the death penalty. Thanks, God, for your light. You know, when I preach the word, say on a Sunday, it's a blessing and it can be a curse to somebody in this respect. If you hear the truth and you're exposed to the light and you walk away and don't respond to the light, you're responsible for the light you heard. Paul is saying, I was cool until I heard the law and I saw what God considered sin to be. And then I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in deep trouble because I have broken the law. And according to the law, I deserve death. He says in verse 11, sin fooled me by taking the good laws of God and using them to make me guilty of death. Do you know that even if you told your parents off in the Old Testament, you were killed? Well, there wouldn't be many teenagers walking around right now, would there? Wouldn't be many teenagers. Wouldn't be much of a youth group up there. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, if you, if, you, if you popped off at your parents with disrespect, now, of course, that's extreme, but there's a principle there to honor your father and your mother. But, wow, it was tough back then. So you heard the law and you went, woe is me. I'm undone. I can't keep this. God said, that's exactly what I wanted you to realize. Now, let's go on with Paul's confession here. Verse 15, he says, I don't understand myself at all. Now, you do understand this is Romans 7. And in Romans 7, Paul is looking back to before he knew Jesus. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to. I do what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong and my bad conscience, in other words, my convicted conscience proves that I agree with these laws I'm breaking. But listen to these words, I can't help myself. I can't help it. Why? Because I'm no longer doing it. It's sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. How many of you can say, I... I, I can remember vividly in my own life, come on, when, there, when I said, I want to do that, and I couldn't do it, and I don't want to do that, and I did it. Come on. Uh, don't you experience that when you go past the dessert tray at the restaurant you go to every week? I mean, they put those, they put, they put these desserts right on the table, these pictures of them, Dr. Pepper chocolate cake. Dr. Pepper chocolate cake cake, 3,000 calories per bite, and you say, I'm not going to do it, but sin inside of you says you deserve a break today, and before you know it, you're chowing down on that Dr. Pepper chocolate cake, and all the way home, you're feeling bad, but let's take it a step further. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. The things that we don't want to do, we do. Why do we, why do, we do what we don't want to do? Because it's sin that, that dwells within us. It's that fallen nature. And Paul is telling us, I had a tremendous struggle with this. Why was it such a struggle for Paul? Because he was trying to obey the law apart from grace before he knew Jesus. He said, trying to obey that law, I couldn't do it. What I wanted to do, I didn't do. What I didn't want to do, that's what I did. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? So 
So the Mosaic Covenant combined with the Ten Commandments were simply God's next step in fulfilling the promise of Genesis 3.15. The Mosaic Covenant was a part of God's plan to bring to pass the seed, capital S, Jesus coming to earth, and the Mosaic Covenant set the stage for men to respond to grace after failing over and over trying to fulfill God's law on their own. We would never know our need for a Savior had we been made, not been made keenly aware of our hopeless condition as slaves to sin. And that's what the Mosaic Covenant did. It told us in no uncertain terms what God was against, what sin was. Paul says that the law was given, that through the law, quote, the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. So the Mosaic Covenant put sin under a microscope. And we read it and we went, how will I ever do that? Good question. I got the answer coming down the pike in my time and in my way. And that's why in Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. The Bible says when the Mosaic Covenant was first given, the people of Israel responded to God's reminder to obey with the words, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. But if you want to just see how badly they failed, read the book of Judges. Because the rest of biblical history shows that this people who said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, no Old Testament book exposes their total inability to keep the law better than Judges. If you want to just read a, can I be honest, a kind of a grim, depressing book, read the book of Judges. Because in the book of Judges, we see Israel falling back into sin and bondage over and over again. They were chronic backsliders. God gave them 14 different deliverers to deliver them from the dire consequences of their sins, but the pattern was always the same. And here's the pattern. Israel did good or did evil in the eyes of God. The people are given into the hands of their enemies and cry out to God. God raises up a leader. The Spirit of God comes upon the leader. The leader manages to defeat the enemy and peace is regained. But once they have peace again for a while, Israel does right for a season. They receive God's blessings, but they relapse later into doing evil and repeating the same old pattern once again, over and over and over again. And God wants us to see it so that we can understand why he gave the Mosaic Covenant so that we would know there is no way I will ever be saved by my own righteousness. No way. I will never obey it. I will never win. It's a lose-lose if you leave it to me to obey the law. Picture some barbells. You got barbells here, all right? Five weights on each side. Ten weights. You're picking up, you're trying to pick up this barbell. Let's say it's 500 pounds. God hands it to you and says, pick it up. Can't do it. I can't even begin to do it. What am I going to do, God? And God says, I'm glad you asked. And then all of a sudden, a spotter comes up from behind, and some hands grab that bar and pick it up. And then that spotter takes that bar and picks it up and does this over and over and over again while you stand there stupefied over and over again. 
And then, and then, and then, what that spotter did with picking up those weights, those 10 weights all by himself, is imputed to you. You did it. You picked it up. No, I didn't pick it up. I couldn't begin to pick it up. Yeah, but that's what grace is all about. We take what Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect life, picked it up all day, every day, his whole 33-year life. He picked it up. He never sinned. He never had to say, forgive me. He never had to say, God, I'm sorry. Never did a cloud pass between him and the Lord. And so here he is. And, and, and on the day that he hung on that cross, like I said, Satan killed an innocent man because he was totally, thoroughly, consummately righteous. And now God says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He picked up the weights, but it was, it was imputed to us. Come on, give God praise. So the Mosaic Covenant is not a contradiction of salvation by grace through faith alone. God wasn't being mean. He wasn't being cruel. He was not being unreasonable. Instead, he was teaching us, pointing mankind to our need for grace. Salvation by faith through grace alone. Let me recap again before I go to the Palestinian Covenant. We're doing well. Are you all being blessed? You understand why we got the Mosaic Covenant? Do you see the Mosaic Covenant is God continuing to work out the promise of Genesis 3.15? He's preparing the world for a Savior. Now, the Adamic Covenant, what was it about? He promised a seed, Jesus Christ, to defeat Satan by bruising his head, a death blow. The Noahic Covenant promised that never again would all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. And never again would there be a flood to destroy the earth. This covenant included a sign of God's faithfulness to keep it, the rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, know that there was never a rainbow in the sky until Noah and the ark and the flood took place. And we also find in Noah's time that God chose one of Noah's three sons, Shem, as the lineage through which Christ would come. So God, God, right there in Noah's time when Ham, Shem, and Japheth repopulated the earth. God chose the righteous lineage, Shem, and he continued his march, working out, working out the Adamic covenant. I'm going to send a seed. That seed will come through Shem's lineage. Then in the Abrahamic covenant, God promised to bless the entire world through Abraham's seed, the seed leading up to the seed. This moved the promise of Genesis 3.15 a step further by establishing the race that would bring forth Messiah. The race was the Jewish people, and Abraham was the first Jew. Now, let me just pause a minute. Think with me, church. Realizing that here's the way God was working out the plan of salvation. He calls Abraham out. Abraham is the first Hebrew, first Jew, then Isaac, then Jacob, and the promised land, and and all that came with it. Do you see why Satan so attacks the Jewish people? Huh? Are you aware that there is an explosion of anti-Semitism across our globe right now? And, And why is Israel such a hot spot? I mean, it's the sore thumb of the world. 
Why? Because it's the land of promise. It's the land that the Messiah invaded planet Earth in. And it's where he's coming back. And I'm going to deal with that in just a moment. And then finally, in the Mosaic Covenant, God gave the law to show mankind their hopeless sinfulness. Now, with each covenant, the bottom line theme of the Bible comes more into view. The coming of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die for our sins, rise from the dead, and in so doing, deal a death blow to Satan by destroying death, hell, and the grave, and one day return a second time to earth to establish his kingdom, and I believe he's soon coming. He's near. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. I believe that. Now, let me deal with one more covenant tonight. Can you take one more covenant? All right, here's the, here's the fifth one, the Palestinian covenant. Now, this is an unconditional covenant. So God's saying, I'm going to do this no matter what man or devil does. I'm going to do it. And this unconditional covenant is God's promise to scatter Israel if they disobeyed God, and they did, then to restore them at a later time to their land. Now, catch this. God is saying, Israel's going to mess up. Israel is not going to follow the law because I know they're not going to follow the law because I gave the law to show them they can't follow the law. So they're going to be scattered. And my promise, the Palestinian covenant is, even when they're scattered because of their sin, I'm going to bring them back to their land. It's a guarantee. They're going to come back to their land. Now follow me here. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 30, first four verses. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and do what, everybody? Gather you again. From where? Read it with me. From all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, and they were. From there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Now, do you know the Palestinian covenant has been fulfilled twice? First, with the 70-year Babylonian captivity. Remember that? Jeremiah prophesied to those people of Judah from the time that he was a very young man, probably a late teenager, all the way to his old age. And repent, repent, or you're going into captivity. Repent, turn to God, give up your idols, quit killing babies. He said that. Don't get me on what's going on. Oh, Lord, help us all. So grieving. But did you know that Jeremiah told them, stop shedding innocent blood or you're going into captivity? I'm just reading you the Bible. But they didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They stiffened their neck. They hardened their heart. They threw the man into prison. They threw him down into a stinking, wretched slime pit where the slime was up to his armpits and he would have died there had they not dragged him out by sort of homemade ropes. Uh, they put him in the stocks. They made him the off-scouring of the earth. They mocked him, ridiculed him. 
They ostracized him, but he kept telling the truth, and they never listened. He, he had a scribe write down his warnings to Judah, the book of Jeremiah that we have. It was written down by a scribe. Uh, Jeremiah dictated it to him, took it to the king that was in charge when the captivity happened, and that king cut the word of God in half and threw it into a fire. Oh, every time I read that, I tremble. Jeremiah just turned around and said to his scribe, I'm going to give it to you again. And thank God, that's how we have the book of Jeremiah. But now, they didn't listen and didn't listen. So, you know what happened. Read the book of Lamentations. Read it. It's Jeremiah watching his own prophecies come to pass as Judah is carried back captive into Babylon. They were there for 70 years. But, but you can't forget there was the Palestinian covenant. If you are dispersed, I'm going to bring you back. So the Palestinian covenant came into play. And after 70 years, under Cyrus the Great, they were released to go and rebuild their homeland. And so the Palestinian covenant was fulfilled. Remember, it's unconditional. Whatever my people do or don't do, I'm still going to fulfill the Palestinian covenant. But now, it was fulfilled again in, well, in my day. Well, I wasn't even born yet. But let me read it to you. When the destruction of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD, they were scattered, the Jewish people were scattered to the four corners of the earth. The destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD is what, Jesus had warned of when he told his disciples, you see this incredible temple, Herod's temple, you see this temple, the magnificence of it, the the architecture, the gold, the, the way it gleams in the sun, the glory of it. He said, I guarantee you, it's all coming down where not one stone is going to be left upon another. And it blew their minds. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. This is a This is a world landmark. Jesus said it's coming down. In a few short decades, 70 A.D., under four decades, about 37 years later, the Romans invaded Jerusalem, starved them, um, surrounded the city, and when they finally sacked the city, it was one of the worst events in the history of mankind. A million Jews were slaughtered. The city was laid in ruins. This was the glory of the Jewish people. It was, the, it was their homeland. And it was taken to the ground. It was horrible. Children, mothers, dads slaughtered in the streets. The Romans had no mercy. They were tired of dealing with the Jewish people. And there was this incredible slaughter. What Jesus said, he, he wept over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you like a hand gathers her chicks, but you would not. And so in Jerusalem, God's Messiah was slaughtered, killed, crucified, taken through kangaroo court. And so the judgment of God fell on that city in a massive way. Now, they were scattered to the four corners of the world. They went everywhere. And now listen. They had no homeland. They were a people without a homeland for 20 centuries, 2,000 years. They had no homeland. And everywhere they went, they were persecuted. Moses had said to them, it's gonna, you're going to forsake the Lord. You're going to be dispersed. 
And when you are, when you go to bed at night, you're going to wish it was morning. And when you wake up in the morning, you're going to wish it was night. Because you're going to be persecuted in every land you go. Because you knew not the day of your visitation. It's so important when God knocks that we respond. Man, there's a time of visitation. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That's the hour of grace. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into you and sup with you and you with me. We'll have fellowship. We'll have relationship. But if you don't open that door and you miss the day of grace, if you miss God's knock, It's never good news for you later. God knocked so hard on Jerusalem, he sent his son there. He came to his own and his own received him not. I know this is heavy, but this is the Bible. So they were scattered. They were scattered for 20 centuries. And you know what happened to them in Nazi Germany. You know what happened to them. If you, if you track the Jewish people all the way back to the first century in 70 AD when they were scattered initially, you track the Jewish people. Everywhere they landed, they were, they were an adrift, nomadic kind of people, and they were persecuted everywhere. All the way, Middle Ages, track them back to the Middle Ages. The Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, track them. You'll find them persecuted then. Track them back even further. Prior to the Middle Ages, a few centuries after Jesus, they're persecuted. But there was the Palestinian covenant. All right? Wherever you're scattered, I'm going to bring you home. Now watch this. Against all odds a people that have been without a country for 20 centuries were restored to their land in a day. The unconditional Palestinian covenant had guaranteed it, and many Bible prophecies have predicted it. Let me just read to you a few of the prophecies that predicted this incredible event in 1948. The prophet Ezekiel predicted in the last days, quote, the land of Israel will be lying in peace, after the return of his people from many lands. And he makes sure, he says, in the last days. You can read it yourself. Isaiah predicted, who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. When Israel, that had not really existed as a separate nation for nearly 2,500 years, because even in 70 AD, it wasn't their nation. That land, that nation, they were declared a sovereign state by an act of the United Nations on May 14, 1948. The nation was born in a day just like Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 66, verse 8. Born in a day. Born in a day. Now, here's my conviction is when, the, when Israel became a nation again, God's prophetic hourglass was turned upside down. And, and that is the time period, the generation that is going to see the return of Christ. Because that was a major fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And you know what? Isaiah even predicted the order of the return. Catch this. This blows my mind. God is so awesome. Can we say he's an awesome God? 
Now watch this. Isaiah 43, 5. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I will bring your children. Now watch the order from the east. And then I'm going to gather you from the west. And third, I'm going to gather you from the north. And then fourth and finally, I'm going to gather you from the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And the Jews return, folks, in just that order. I can show it to you in history. The first returning Jews to Palestine came primarily from eastern Arab countries. I will bring your children from the east. The next major movement came from the western countries of Europe, especially Germany, (laughs) and from the west. Then they came in great numbers from Russia, the uttermost north. I will say to the north, give them up. And then... The last great migrations of Jews returning to Israel came from Ethiopia in the south. I will say to the south, don't hold them back. That's the order they came. That's the order they returned. It was so bad in Russia because there were so many brilliant Jewish people in Russia at the time. Russia called it the brain drain. And and Jews of that time were interviewed. Why are you going back to Jerusalem? Why? Here you are in Russia. Here you are. You're a famous scientist or whatever. You're, you're, You're sitting pretty. Why would you go back? And they would say, I don't understand it. It's an inner desire I can't explain. Because God was, you know, there's a you who that comes from God. You who? Come on. You know, God calls. And when God calls, you got to go. So this was the Palestinian covenant being fulfilled before our very eyes. Amen? Amen? Now, in closing, the Palestinian covenant was a further step in God's Genesis 3.15 promise to send a redeemer and the bruiser of Satan's head. Here's why. Here's why. Why was it so important for them to be home? in their homeland, because Jesus is predicted to return to a restored Jewish homeland in the Middle East, which the Palestinian covenant guarantees. So now that they're home again, the stage is set for the return. Amen. Can we stand together tonight? Isn't that good stuff? Can we give God praise tonight? Come on. He's an awesome God. Amen? He's an awesome God. Now, how many of you understand the Mosaic and the Palestinians? Say, I, under, I get it. I get it. How many of you are so glad we're not in the Mosaic Covenant right now? Oh, my. I'm so glad we live in grace. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for the grace of God, the power of God. Thank you, Lord. As we follow these covenants, we see you working through the scriptures, working out your plan. We see the unity of the Bible, the continuity of it, the interconnectedness of it. One thing leads to the next, which leads to the next in a perfect tapestry of your will for man and his redemption to be worked out. Thank you for it, Lord. Let's worship him. Let's just worship him. You want to worship the Lord? Let's worship the Lord. He's a mighty God.